As I was sitting this evening, one of the many poems that I often share came floating through my mind. I think I need a little more volume. Can you hear me in the back? Anyway, one of the many poems that I share came into my mind, and this uh, was a passage from, just a portion of a passage from a poem called Free and Easy by Gendon Rinpoche, one of my regulars, and it starts by saying, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. So don't strain yourself, it continues. There's nothing to do or to undo. So when I was thinking about this tonight, I was thinking about the the fact that this poem points to that, that freedom or happiness, whatever we are searching for, whatever that deep longing is for, that most holy longing, that that which we think will be there for us at the end of the rainbow, uh, is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Uh, So don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do or to undo. And tonight in the instructions, I, I said, just... Just start with the ever-present, always-already fact that you are aware. Just that fact. Now, that awareness is the fact that you are aware, and just that quality of awareness is so close To be aware is so easy. Awareness is so vast and it's so wonderful that we don't notice it. We don't notice that the very secret to happiness is in plain view. It's sometimes called an open secret. And Unfortunately, because of overlooking this vital fact, this simple fact that awareness, which is sometimes called awareness freedom or awareness wisdom, is your natural state. And it is, it is, uh, it's unconditional, unconditioned, incorruptible. It doesn't depend in any way, this fact of awareness does not depend on your life, circum- your life circumstances. It does not depend on your mood. It doesn't depend on your anxiety. It doesn't depend, depend on your anger. It doesn't depend on your bank account. It, it is absolutely untouchable. It's free. And is your, it, it's the most natural thing in your nature. It's your, you could call it, it's your Buddha nature. 
Buddha-natured simply means you're naturally awake. Buddha means awake. It's your awake nature. So as I was sitting tonight and just letting those lines just kind of float through my mind, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Uh, I, I felt happy. I felt happy. Because I, as I, I met with a lot of people today, as I do, and, and I've, a lot of people love to meditate, love to make the effort to meditate, but often the effort is to get somewhere. It's to do something with, so innocently with the things that are hard to bear in our lives. Not realizing that happiness comes through open relaxation and letting go, letting be, dropping into the awareness of whatever's there. It doesn't come through great effort and willpower. Only the willingness, the only effort is the willingness to stop, stop going, stop efforting, stop doing so much to heal the split in our, our hearts to, to deal with our anxiety, to deal with our aggression. So instead, whatever means, if we're going to have means, whatever means helps us turn toward the reality of what is going on, helps us be awake to what is present. It doesn't matter the form what often is needed, especially when we're experiencing some kind of upset, is a form, something like the form of mercy or compassion. To turn toward whatever it is that we're experiencing with a, ouch, this hurts. This is really uncomfortable to feel anxious. And to stay in the reality of, of the pain of it. To stay with the, to stay with the, uh, with the ouch of it, to stay with the, the physicality of it, to, to be curious about it, to be open. Whatever it is that allows that, that natural healing power, natural f- effect of bringing our freedom, that free, open awareness to the reality of what's happening. But often we will apply all kinds of means to deal with the state of mind that we're in. It's to deal with it. And if it's anxiety or if it's fear, it's, well, okay, I'm going to do some metta. I'm going to really say, may I be happy, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. <laughs> and yes, over time, that, that those thoughts of goodwill, because they point to an unconditional quality in us, they'll, they'll start to awaken, we'll start to feel friendly toward ourselves. But often hidden in our doing, in our doership, is a, what's hidden in there is a, a form of craving. It's a form of craving in the form of dislike. Or what's hidden in there is a kind of bargaining. I'll be with you and I'll even send you metta if you'll go away. And unfortunately, the states of mind that present themselves as part of the display of our mind, they know when they are being um, mistreated, misperceived, 
um, pushed out, suppressed, or acted out, they get stronger, like flexing a muscle. And then the, the anxiety or the fear, it just compounds. Not because we're a bad person, but we're ignorant to the effects of, uh, of doing something about our feelings, even though we're doing it out of love for ourselves. We love ourselves, so we want to, we want to feel better, naturally. But our method, our medicine, you could say, just increases our disease. So, the uh, the words of one of my teachers, H. W. L. Punja, about that some relevance to this. He says, "Everything you do is for stillness of mind, for happiness." And yet anything you do disturbs your mind. Because doing is mind. It is a trap. Whether it is samadhi or bliss or whatever it is that you're trying to attain. Anything that you try to do conceals the diamond with the arrogance of doership. So it's all about... I am somebody that needs to do something about this. So most of our doing reinforces the sense of, of being separate, being apart from, from others, being apart from the flow of life. He goes on, you've been doing for 35 million years. Now, so now simply keep quiet. Your innermost nature is not seen during effort. Nor is freedom the result of effort. It is already here now. You miss bliss because you search for the transient. But truth cannot be seen. It is the seer. Find that through which you would search, and you find that being is bliss. Just being is bliss. Or as Kala Rinpoche put it, there is nothing to be gained, nothing to be found that is not there already. Truth is so simple. Buddhahood so simple, so self-evident. Truth is here, even in this very room. Truth is you. The supreme silence, shunyata, infinity is in you. You are the silence, you are the truth, you are the Buddha. It is here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected, so near. Yet we make it so distant when it is so near, so remote when it's so immediate, so complicated when it's so simple. Do you know what it's like to be at the roadside with your motor car, but to have lost the way? You are the Buddha. Then why do you not feel it? Why don't you know it utterly, through and through? 
because there's a veil in the way which is attached to appearances, such as the belief that you are not the Buddha, that you are a separate individual. If you can't lift this veil at once, then it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally just one glimpse, then you can see through it all the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, however things seem to be, simply refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. So last week I spoke of of Anagarka Munindra, I think I mentioned him, when he said to me in his parting words after I was his attendant on a retreat, this was back in the early 1980s, he looked at me and said, may you truly be happy. And I, as I described last week, it, it kind of shook me up because it, I started to have a real doubt about whether I was truly happy. <laughs> and then I wondered about what, where happiness was to be found. And, you know, I hear this quote here, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower. But I was told it's, you know, I, maybe someday I could be happy. And so I was... I was looking, but the more I studied it, the more I realized the words of the truth of the words of a teacher, another Advaita Vedanta teacher named Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, where he said, All search for happiness is misery. And leads to more misery. And the only happiness worth that name is the natural happiness of being conscious, of conscious being. Yet, so many times during the, the day, I go through so many moods, and sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad. So it, cannot, it can't be that when you're truly happy that you only have a happy mood. Nobody is happy all the time in terms of their mood. So we started to understand that when, they, when the teachings and when we think about happiness, we're thinking about it in a very uh, conventional way, in a very, um, in a very limited way. And the Buddha was very clear about, about uh, very conventional happiness that depends on being in a good mood, and being in a good mood often depends on certain conditions being the way you want them to be. When thing, all your ducks are in a row, you're, hey, this is great, I'm happy. My body feels good today, well-fed, got all kinds of wonderful conditions. Hey, this is happy. I, I woke up this morning and I looked into the eyes of my beloved. We made mad, passionate love. Hey, happy. We got up out of bed, then we opened the refrigerator, abundant with California produce. Happy. Then, uh, then made mad, passionate love again. Oh, happy. <laughs> then rolled out of bed into the hot tub. Or I'm, I'm actually dating myself. It used to be in the, in the 70s, everybody got hot tubs. <laughs> but then they, everybody then started getting happy eating uh, California cuisine, and then uh, 
what else? Juicing. <laughs> and then a great, a great yoga class. And then maybe rolling in the hay again with your beloved. And, and clumping enough pleasurable moments together, that's what we call happy. The more, the merrier. And the ones who have the most are the happiest. But unfortunately, the, the examination of that kind of happiness is not very, it's not very closely examined in our culture. And that kind of happiness, that kind of what the Buddha calls sukha, sukha is the word for comfort, happiness, that sukha, he said, is really dukkha, or otherwise known as sukha dukkha. Dukkha is unsatisfactoriness, is unreliable, is, uh, is insubstantial, can't make you truly happy. And if you owned the whole world, you still would not be truly happy. Because the wake of getting what you want is the temporary experience of pleasure, and then the fading of that pleasure and the happiness, and often because this sense of happiness and well-being has been associated with having gotten what you wanted, that momentary pleasure, our mind, instead of simply resting in that fading away and seeing the truth that all things that arise have the nature to pass away, instead of understanding and kissing the joy as it flies, as William Blake put it, and living in eternity sunrise, instead, our mind immediately feels dissatisfied, grumpy, uneasy. I don't care whether you are... the. I, I work with people of every possible socioeconomic, physical condition, and everyone falls into the exact same trap of associating happiness with things that, that are like quicksand, that just slip through your fingers and leave in their wake um, more and more dissatisfaction and leave our mind uh, in, a, um, in a habit of thinking that we need something else to be happy, when in fact it's just the opposite. That true happiness, as we started with tonight, is already present in open relaxation and letting go. That nothing can make you happier than you are. That all search for happiness is misery. And that's what the teachings remind us. That anything, any kind of happiness that is born of craving, born of, of, of dependency, on conditions being a certain way, even though it brings, and even though our pleasures bring us, or our, yeah, our pleasures bring us so much delight, they, they ultimately are, um, they leave us even more dissatisfied. Unfortunately, the Buddha was very clear that what he was teaching, and what we, what I try to point to on Tuesday night is, yes, enjoy the world of sense pleasures and all the pleasures, but kiss them as they fly. 
And when, they're, when things are not pleasant, kiss, those, kiss the unpleasant moments as they fly too. Don't get caught in the trap of looking for the end of, of pain and looking for more pleasure. That's what's called samsara. That is what samsara is the word in Sanskrit that means endless wandering. Wandering from birth after birth, birth in each little drama, each little search for pleasure, going around and around, never like a gerbil going around that wheel. We had hamsters. We've gone through a lot of hamsters. Hamsters come and go. But also when they're here, they spin. They spin and they spin and they spin. Of course, that's their exercise. But, they're, but this is how we are. We're spinning and spinning, and it's not just our exercise. We actually think it's, we do it to make us happy, and it makes us more miserable. So the Buddha wanted us to see, in the teachings, wanted us to see uh, that that's not the kind of happiness that putting one's faith in that kind of happiness is, um, is what he called misplaced faith. And he, he also said that renouncing that kind of happiness as one's source of the as one as one's source of freedom doesn't mean giving up the things of the world, but in understanding in the deepest possible way that everything has the nature to arise and pass away, that nothing gives lasting satisfaction. A very frequently shared chant that's in monasteries. I'll, I'll chant it, we can do it together, maybe it goes, Anicca vada sankara upadava yadamino pakitua niruchanti desang upasamo sukho. This is 2,500 years this has been chanted. It basically means all conditioned things, things that are conditioned, have the nature to arise and to fade away, to pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. So there's something about that Freedom that comes from not holding on to distorted perceptions of what brings us happiness. And that makes it possible to see that happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation. And what one discovers in that open relaxation and letting go is what the Buddha called lokutara sukha unconditional happiness, happiness that is independent of conditions. It's the happiness that instead of um, the happiness of satisfying one's hungers, it's the happiness that is free of hunger, that is uh, already home, already resting quietly at home in front of your own fireplace. So as Genda Rinpoche says later in the poem, he says, don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. And he finally ends it by saying, there's nothing to do or to undo, nothing to want and nothing missing if you really pay attention. Nothing's missing here. Everything is given. Every desire is fulfilled by simply recognize your intrinsic wakefulness right now and not postponing this. 
So conditional happiness as a source of, as our main source of well-being is uh, a life of postponement. And it's a life of craving, continual search. So we, as one of my teachers shouts out, he says, call off the search. Stop. Keep quiet. And so I'll end my words, and if anybody has a comment after I speak, I'll end with the Derek Walcott poem that's often shared on Tuesday night, where he says, the time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelves, the photographs, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Maybe one last one from a Thai monk named Ajahn Mahabua. You know, I could talk all, I could talk every week about how to deal with your boss and how to deal with this person, that person, this thing, that thing. There's so many tools and there's so many meditative tools. But I can't help but share the good news. You are already what you're looking for. And so don't stray away from yourself. And here's Mahabua. It says, although all phenomena, without exception, fall under the laws of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self, selfless, the true nature of the mind does not fall under these laws. The natural power of the mind itself is that it knows and does not die. This deathlessness is something that is beyond disintegration. So you are, you're deathless. You are, your grandeur is impossible to even talk about. And so don't settle for the crumbs. Give yourself the full, the full Monty, the full naked awareness. It's already yours. How do we realize that? Just moment by moment. Not someday. Look to who's looking. Who's hearing these words? What's the eye behind the eye? The ear behind the ear? The nose behind the nose? Taste behind the tongue? How hard is that? 
I slipped in a little earlier in the conversation, or it's not a conversation, but in my words, the, that it's so close and it's so easy and it's so vast and it's so wonderful. And this is precisely, it's these four things, easy, close, vast, and wonderful. It's, it's, these are what are called the four faults uh, that it's too close for us to see so we don't notice. Our own wakefulness. It's too easy. All we have to do is just be awake. It's too vast. We can't put it in our limited way of thinking. And it's too wondrous. It's hard to accommodate the, how delicious our own nature is. So this doesn't, by being in touch with this deliciousness, it doesn't mean that all your conditioning goes away still may be a mental case. I am. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we, <laughs> we all are. We all are. My mind is still inclined toward, you know, I'm still waiting for this, wanting this. But somehow, uh, it, it's not as sticky when, when I know already that I'm, um, that I'm home. Everything's a little bit easier if you, if you call off the search. And it doesn't solve all our problems. It just makes our problems uh, a little easier. I think there's a poem that... I can't find it. I guess we'll end again, this time with a chant, the words of Neem Karoli Baba. This is kind of Hindu night, <laughs> in a way. Maybe we can all do it together. Maybe this can help. You can have this in your mind. It'll remind you that you're not as limited as your normal uh, small ideas about yourself. He, he says in a chant and put to words by Jayutal, he says, I am like the wind, no one can hold me. I belong to everyone, no one can own me. The whole world is my home, all are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave thee. Oh, crystal tears. Oh, taking away my fears. Let's try it. I am like the wind. Call and response. I am like the wind. No one can hold me. No one can hold me. 
I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home. All are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave thee. Oh, crystal tears. Oh, taking away my fears. Okay, let's try it together. I am like the wind. No one can hold me. I belong to everyone. No one can own me. The whole world is my home. All are my family. I live in every heart. I will never leave thee. Oh, crystal tears. Oh, taking away my fears. So may all beings realize their Buddha nature. May all beings call off the search. May all beings live with ease and self-compassion. May all beings be free. Thanks for listening. And next week I have the intention of, of doing a little bit more dialoguing, a little more Q&A. So if you have questions uh, about your practice, about anything that's been said, we can take it up next time. And have a good week and see you next time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.